But uh, Luke 14, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We'll be glad to put one in your hand if you don't have one. Uh, We'll be reading just the first 14 verses of Luke 14, starting with verse 1. Now it happened as he went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath, that they watched him closely. And behold, there was a certain man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus answering spoke to the lawyers and the Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? But they kept silent. And he took him and healed him and let him go. Then he answered and said, saying, Which of you, having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit, will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him regarding these things. So he told them a parable to those who were invited. When he noted how they chose the best places, saying to them, When you were invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you, come and say to you, go, give this place to this man. And then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place, so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who, you sit, at the table, who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And then he also said to, uh, to him who invited him, When you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. When you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you. For you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just." Father, we just ask again for you to lead and guide this Bible study, for it's your words we want to hear, certainly not mine. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Two brothers were fighting over a a relatively new toy, and you know how this goes. No one's really going to give in. Finally, mom tries to instill some wisdom and says, you know, it is true, it's blessed to give than it is to receive. So the one brother looks at the other brother and and he says, as soon as you give that to me, you're going to be blessed. (laughs) What is it about us? We we don't have to be taught or trained to think about ourselves, to be putting ourselves in the best possible position, to get what we think belongs to us, to look out for ourselves. If you're taking notes this morning, I've titled our study this morning, Blessed and Going Lower. In this last verse, Jesus says, you will be blessed. Isn't it good to know we can actually trust what Jesus says? He says, if you follow everything I said here, you'll be blessed. But it goes counter to what the world teaches, doesn't it? What everything Jesus says here goes completely counter to the culture, counter to the mindset, counter to our own natural flesh, whether we were young children or grown adults, we're always looking out for ourselves. We don't naturally take the lower positions, do we? We don't naturally look to go lower. We'll look at three things. I'm I'm not going to tell them to you in advance. I'll just go through them one at a time from the text this morning. The first six verses I want to look at, if you're taking notes, first, have the heart of Jesus. Verses 1 through 6 we'll look at. 
And then uh, I'll tell you the other two as we get, get through them. Have the heart of Jesus if you're taking notes. Jesus, he's invited here to have a Sabbath meal. Sabbath, the seventh day. That was the day, of course, given unto Moses that uh, the children of Israel were not to work. They were to lay aside all of their normal work activities and take that day to rest. And even though we're not under the law today of the Sabbath, per se, of the seventh day, you know, if you were, then none of you that worked yesterday, including me weed-whacking my sprinkler system yesterday, um, that would be considered work. So the seventh day would have been Saturday. We're allowed to do those things, but it is, we are under the new covenant where we should, first of all, be resting in Christ, but look for still a day, I believe, uh, that we still look for a day to really lay aside as much as possible and to make that day. For me, it's predominantly Sunday or Monday, depending on how my week goes. Last week, it could have been Monday, but I can't remember, like I said. (laughs) But we want to have a day where we put aside, and that's what the Lord was giving the Sabbath. It wasn't to make life worse for people. This is the misnomer of the world. They actually think all the laws of God are God wants to make your life miserable. They've seen old Puritan pictures. You know, the, you know the, the one with the guy, the pitchfork. I know it's not a Christian picture, but the overall. They look real happy, don't they? That's the world's picture of people that, that are going to church or honoring the Sabbath. And that would have been these guys that Jesus is meeting. But he's invited into their home, and they are strict followers of not just the Sabbath, but they've added a lot of things to the Sabbath, things that God never put into the Sabbath, they have added. And religion does this. Religion always adds layer upon layer, and what it really does, it creates almost, if you will, a quasi-caste system, where you have people that are at the top and people are at the bottom. And the higher you are in religious systems, the more pampered you are, and the lower you are, well, you're just kind of an outcast. And yet, this ruler of the Pharisees, invites Jesus to have a Sabbath meal. And this man had a prominent position, no doubt everyone in the vicinity, certainly the village, the city would have known who he was, but beyond that I'm certain uh, others would have known. Now Jesus is invited, and he, he accepts the invitation. He comes. And Jesus is not invited because they loved his teaching. Man, we want to hear him teach more. Tell us more about that stuff you were you coming from the Father thing. It wasn't because they believed he was God's son, nor was it because that they wanted to follow him. I hope that you're here this morning, not because it is your Sabbath, but because you really do want to follow the Lord. And you really do want to hear from him. And you really do want to draw nearer to him. But this wasn't their reasons for inviting Jesus. He was invited so they could find fault. He was invited that they could hopefully catch him in his words where he would be contradicting the law because the lawyers were there too. So the Pharisees themselves knew the law, but then they had a subset of guys who really knew the law. I mean, every single, that's all they did was study nonstop every single thing, but not just the law that God had written, but also the rabbinical writings which were the additional laws that man had brought. So they knew those too. And the first thing I want us to apply this morning 
We'll look at two things to apply from these six verses. The first thing to apply is that we would have a heart, is having the heart of Jesus. And and having a heart, this is the thing. Jesus comes into a place where he's not really liked. He's not really invited for the right reasons. He's not really respected by them. But here's the thing I want us to apply in having this heart of Jesus. Be willing, Christian. Be willing to go where your enemies and your critics and your adversaries are. We can learn it directly from him. You know, people, you know, remember a few years back, everyone had the WWJD bracelets on? What would Jesus do? They were popular for like five years. It lasted longer than I thought, but anyway. They were popular for a while. Well, one of the things Jesus did, he would go where his enemies, his critics, and his adversaries were. And we need to be willing to go to places where we're not so loved. Going to lunch with your critics, uh, critics of your Christian faith, let's say. Going to lunch with critics of your Christian faith isn't always a relaxing, enjoyable time. Has anyone done this? You get to go to lunch with some coworkers, and you know they really kind of despise, not, they may not even despise you. They might kind of like you, but they can't stand your Christian faith. And they don't know how to say it, but the body language and the innuendos and things like that, it's not always fun and relaxing to go enjoy a meal with them, but go anyway. Why? Because God send us, sends us to appointments like that to be a light. Over the years, I was in the business world for 16 years, I had many of those times where you know, I could have avoided certain lunches or breakfast or even you know, a few, a small talk. I could avoid it, but instead, I always looked at that as an opportunity that God had me there to say, how can I just be a light? And it's not, I walk in the room... I want all of you to listen up. I'm going to open up Luke chapter 14. Just to be a light. Jesus was not afraid to interact with prideful, arrogant men. The world's full of prideful, arrogant men. The world's full of prideful, arrogant women. But Jesus wasn't afraid to interact with them. Are we? He knew that in a group of non-believers... In a group of non-believers, take the Pharisees here, in that group was still someone like a Nicodemus. In that group of, it seems like everyone there is resisting, Nicodemus is doing this. I think he is from God. There's people, if you're willing to go sometimes where God says, hey, now go have lunch with them anyway. I know that they rub you the wrong way. I know they've insulted your church twice this week, and I know that they've made fun of something you did, but but go anyway, because, believe it or not, they actually are watching you and actually are hearing you. But you don't know it yet. Many people have come to Christ this way. See, Nicodemus and some of the Pharisees there may have been already under conviction, and Jesus is there to bring them all the way in. Many Christians seem to avoid a meal or interactions or a fence post discussion with their neighbors. They seem to avoid anything and everything except being with, huddled with other Christians. Well, if we're going to do that, we might as well live on a mountaintop or something, right? Jesus said to be in the world, not of the world. 
This isn't how Jesus operated. Jesus did not operate by saying, 12 disciples, we will never go anywhere except stay in our cocoon. This is this church setting here. This is the locker room. The playing field's out there. We actually have to go out there and meet people and talk to people, even people that don't necessarily like us. And, and it's really not us. They don't like who do they not like? Jesus. He's the one in this setting. He's the one that is being put in a position that they hope is to their advantage. But Jesus, he always saw these meetings as mission fields. Do you see your interactions in the week as mission fields? This week, uh, when my vehicle was hit, my brother brings home the insurance information. I look at the name, and, and I said, how was the other driver? It was 100% his fault. Witnesses came out, and they were all saying, told the police officer, it's this guy's fault, this guy's fault, this guy's fault. I said, so how? I said we need to pray for him. Because I may just have a chance to meet him in the next couple weeks. Right? You know, God does, he wants us to always be looking that the person that you're interacting with is still a soul that Jesus is trying to connect with, trying to reach. Even if they're being obstinate, even if they're being difficult, even if they're being critical. As Jesus enters this home, there's another individual here in front of him. There's a man, he's got a serious medical condition. He's suffering desperately and he, need, he needs healing. He needs to be physically healed. He's suffering from dropsy. Dropsy would today be referred to medically as edema. It's a condition where fluid is retained in the tissues and the cavities of the body. It causes, its causes are typically from the liver or kidney and various forms of cancer. So if you have kidney problems, you have liver problems, you have cancer problems, you have a serious medical problem. And so it causes the fluids to, to build up and to swell. And the word for dropsy comes from the Greek words water and face because the disease often made the face swell as well. So not only would the extremities swell, but the fluids would retain. Some people with that with very, very minor, 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 minor edema can just wake up and they have swelling under the eyes. That's not any kind of serious health issue. But some people have minor swelling in the feet, which is also a form of edema, but very low. But you can have very serious ones from cancer, from liver problems, from, uh, from problems with the kidney that can cause the whole body to swell. And so this word, this Greek word relating to water and face, uh, it was evident that the man just looking at him and Luke, who's writing this, is a physician. So Luke is the one uh, that tells us the medical name at that time, dropsy. And the Pharisees, the, the gathered Pharisees here, obviously had invited this sick man for no other reason but a trap for Jesus. Remember, they don't believe in healing on the Sabbath. They invited the sick man as a trap. And once again... Some of the Pharisees, and again, I don't, I'm not going to say all of them because a couple of them may have been there disagreeing with the tactics, but they're not going to say anything because they're afraid or they're low on the totem pole or they're under conviction themselves. But uh, at least some of them are downright heartless when it comes to 
what they're focused on, what they're fixated on. They don't have a care in the world about the condition of this man. As to whether uh, he needs healing, whether that would be good for him and his family, that's not their concern. And their minds are fixated on, will Jesus heal him, and will he do it on the Sabbath? But here's the thing when dealing with our God and Savior, Emmanuel. When you deal with God in human flesh, Jesus can take your trap and remove the bait and completely be untouched by your trap, take the bait out, and the trap lands on the very one that set it. You're not dealing with, you know, it's always, it's kind of comical to see puny human beings try and mind bend the Lord Jesus. But they really do try. It's, it's just as, it's not funny, but you've heard people that you've talked with ask you some of the silliest questions about the Bible. And you can't just say at that moment, that's the silliest question I've ever heard. You have to, you have to treat them gently and say, okay, I, I, all right. I used to think that way. I mean, some, some of them we used to too, think too. So we, we know why it's so silly because we used to believe it too. But they're trying to trap Jesus. And you know, we can easily look at the Pharisees with amazement at their callous hearts, at their love for tradition, and their love for rules. We can easily look at them and their lack of care for people, and yet we can be guilty of some of their same traits in our own life, can't we? It's always easy to see someone else's hypocrisy, mean-spiritedness, this, that, and the other, but the Lord says, hey, you know, uh, I watched you this week too. Remember this moment? Remember this thought? Remember what you wanted to say and you didn't, but you still said it and you didn't even ask for forgiveness yet about it? You ever been there? I was probably there sometime this week. Could have been Monday. I'll just ask for forgiveness for anything that took place Monday, whatever that was. If you watched uh, on Wednesday night when we showed the what God hath wrought Vizio, you know one of the neat things about Pastor Chuck, somebody he had such a grace for people. And, but he was not perfect. Like we talked about, you know, he was the one that thought the hippie should get a bath and get a job. Until Kay said, you know, extend an olive branch to them. Reach out to them. They need the Lord. They need, they need salvation. They need someone to reach out to them. And, and, you know, God speaks through our spouse sometimes. He speaks through the word sometimes. Flip on the radio. And just the right time, there's some word right for me. He speaks through a lot of ways. And if we listen, we say, oh, Lord, I, my heart was hard. And it softens a little bit. And we have the right perspective. But, you know, Chuck, he later recognized that, hey, you know, when, when some of the elders and the board were all up in arms about, these hippies are dirty in the floor. It's like, we'll rip up the carpet if we have to. Their souls that are dirty with sin are far more important than the carpet. And that's the same kind of religiosity that comes in where we start to get the mindset that the things, the elements of religion, the building itself, some, some of those things are more important than people. Jesus didn't operate that way. I was talking with some area pastors last year. Uh, I think about 15 of us local pastors. and um, 
I was the one Calvary Chapel guy here. And I'm not saying that what one of them said couldn't happen at a Calvary Chapel. I'm sure it has happened plenty of times. But one of them mentioned that their church was having a picnic. This true story, the last maybe six months ago. He said, we were were having a church picnic, um, and and, uh, people were posting uh, what they were going to bring and stuff. And some people, he was was humble enough to share this, he said some people got really upset that people brought to the picnic non-organic foods. I mean, could you believe it? Some people brought Fritos. Twinkies, which are guaranteed one causes death. <laughs> Processed foods. Can you believe it? Processed foods. I hate to tell you, in some respect, all foods are processed unless you just pick it up. But nevertheless, <laughs> how else does it get in a box? But And so, some of them, he goes, I couldn't believe it. He goes, because these are Christians that supposedly love the Lord. And he said some of them were really offended that other people brought non-organic, non-processed, or, or foods that were processed, foods. And they're really up in arms about it. This is poisoning our children, blah, blah, blah. We have people really dying of starvation around the world. We understand that people are really in serious problems. Some people in this country can't even eat. They don't have much money. This is... The first world problem's worse. It's a first world problem in a church setting. Like I said, this could happen at a Calvary Chapel. I'm sure it has happened at a Calvary Chapel. I'm not looking down on it. Matter of fact, this guy's a friend of mine. And even though I prefer, if, if it were free, I would always have organic foods. How about you? I don't know if you looked at the prices. It's not always free. Sometimes it's four times the price. There's people on fixed incomes who can't buy organic food. So you can tell them to your blue in the face, you should be eating organic food. Well, if you start buying it for them, they will. So why don't you go ahead and buy their groceries for them? And I'm sure they'll join you. I would prefer it too. But we're not under that kind of bondage, are we? We shouldn't be. I'm pretty sure if Jesus came in and they offered him a processed piece of food, he'd say thank you. Bless it and eat it. Not give them a dissertation on, do you understand what you're eating? (laughs) You know, I can get on this soapbox because it didn't happen here. So, you know, I'm allowed to say that. (laughs) No, I'm not going to tell you where it did. I'm just going to, I'm saying it avoided ever happening here. I was glad he told us all because we all, we all nod our way. We could see that. We could, yeah, we could see that. Paul warned of this to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.3. He said, commanding some, he said, to abstain from marriage, to abstain from certain foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. If I go to another country, I'm going to have to eat what they put in front of me. True? It's the only way to build a bridge. That's religion. Religion says, we will not do this. Why? Because... Why? Because it's, it's bad for you. Well, yeah, a lot of things are bad for you. Not like sitting there eating them all day. But it's pride anytime we put our thoughts, our opinions, 
our traditions above the Word of God. Amen? When we put our things above the Word of God, we've got a problem. That's what the Pharisees would do. They would put their things above the Word of God. There was nothing in the Word of God that said you couldn't heal on the Sabbath. They added that. If the Bible doesn't teach it, we need to be careful. If the Bible does not teach it, be aware of people who are always telling you things that are not in the Bible. Maybe they're even good things. Why you should wear roller skates all the time. There's no verse that says that. But if someone comes along 20 years from now and says you should all wear roller skates, it's the only way to keep your heart healthy. Be careful. Someone will say that. I mean, you think I'm, that's nuts. Next week you'll probably read an article someone says that. That's the way to stay healthy. I don't know where that came from. Maybe it's a great idea. Anyway. So how does Jesus respond to the staged lunch meeting? Well, he asked the first question. Now, it's great to be invited by guests and they don't say anything. You feel really welcome when you walk in. Everybody's like this. This is how he was received. Now he knows I'm really welcome here. You go somewhere and they don't, the, the, you're, you're the guest, they're the host, and the host says nothing to you, just has folded arms watching you. Am I supposed to do a show now? Am I supposed to? But he asked the first question. He says, is, I kind of think I know why I'm here. Is it lawful for me to heal on Sabbath? Any of you guys want to weigh in on this? You lawyers? He's looking at them in the eye. He knows who is the lawyers, who is the Pharisees. Is it lawful for me to heal? They don't say anything. Jesus goes ahead and he heals the man. Regardless of their intentions, this man still needs help. Christian, regardless of other people's intentions, still notice who needs help. It doesn't matter what they think or what their reasons are. Jesus still zeroes in on the, on the hurting man. Don't miss the hurting man or woman because other people are putting pressure on us or whatever it may be. And Luke shows Jesus healing on the Sabbath here but another place, I don't know if you know this, Luke actually shows Jesus heal on the Sabbath more than any other gospel. Luke was a physician. He always was amazed by Jesus' ability to heal. Any of you that have physical ailments, you would be amazed at Jesus' ability to heal, and you probably pray regularly that he will heal you. Keep praying. He might just do it. Could be this week. Could be next month. Could be this year. I claim several verses. And I believe that the Lord, uh, as we continue with the mustard seed of faith, he still heals to this day. But the second thing for us to apply under this having a heart for Jesus is to do the right thing and don't worry about what the world, what the critics, or the guardians of man-made religion think. Do the right thing. Don't worry about what the critics think, the guardians of man-made religion, and anyone who's observing you say, well, How will they think if I do the right thing? Don't worry about what they think. Worry about what God thinks. Go ahead and eat that processed bag of Doritos. Go ahead. I'm not saying to eat that for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, or to make that your diet, but in the right setting, go ahead and eat it in front of the Christians that will (gasps) be appalled that you're eating Doritos. At the picnic, I was eating Pringles, and they are very processed. They're so far from a potato, we don't even know what it is. 
but you can't really eat just one, right? You know, it's like the half of can. I try to tell Pastor Thomas that I do eat junk food too. But you know what? When you eat that bag of Doritos in the right setting, you can build a bridge with that person who's never been afforded to buy organic and they realize that you're actually a normal human being that can relate to them. Right? That's not the time to preach to them about their diet. It's the time just to reach out to them. You go in some neighborhoods around America, they don't know what you're talking about. You're like from another planet. What is organic? Last observation of this scene. So after Jesus healed them, he answers and says to them, well, he heals them, lets the man go. Then he says something else to these men that are gathered. He says, which of you having a donkey or an ox fallen into a pit will not immediately, uh, some translations actually say a son, uh, will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath? They could not answer him regarding these things. They were silent to Jesus' first question, but they were speechless on the second. Why? Because they knew definitively that if an ox or a donkey, which would be like your car, if your car goes into a ditch, you don't say, well, I'm going to leave it there till Monday. Hey, you're probably going to immediately call the tow service, and they would have done the same thing. They immediately got their neighbors, helped them get out. That was their livelihood in some cases. It was useful for work or certainly it was worth a significant amount of money and and the old testament gave provisions for those kind of things medical emergency animal emergencies they did animal husbandry they did all types of things that there would be those type of accidents that could happen and i don't know if you realize but accidents can happen seven days a week right those of your parents you know that some of them almost happen at the worst possible times right And when they do, you have to respond to them then, not later. And these guys had nothing to say. They were speechless because they were caught in their own trap. Jesus moves on in verse 7, so he tells a parable. He tells them, he he notes that in the setting, so they're still gathered for this lunch, and he notices that everyone there wants the very best seats. Now, the best seat would have been uh, the highest-ranking ruler be at the head, and everyone wants to be as close to the number one dude. You know, if you were invited to some uh, executive dinner, it'd be, you'd be sitting right next to the CEO. If it was a foot, National Football League dinner, you'd be sitting next to the head coach or general manager or team owner. You know, if it was a political thing, you'd be sitting next to the highest ranking, whether if it was a senator or the president or Supreme Court justice or whatever it may be. Whoever's the highest ranking person, you get prime real estate right next. And then at des- in descending order, hey, you at the end of the table, the nobody. Jesus notes that they wanted the best seats. It made a lot of, it, it, it was a lot on their mind how they were perceived, how people saw them. That's what I love about Pastor Chuck. He never even looked for the best seats in Christian circles, the best seats on Charisma Magazine. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with any of these. I'm just saying he didn't pursue those things. Great example to us. But the truths conveyed by Jesus here, 
They were also conveyed by Solomon in Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs chapter 25, verse 6 and 7 says, Do not exalt yourself in the presence of the king. Do not stand in the place of the great. For it is better that he say to you, Come up here. It's better to be invited to a high place than to try and take a high place. Then that you should be put in a lower in the presence of whom your eyes have seen. It's better to be called up to a higher place than put, hey, you're in the wrong place. Who told you you could sit here? Go to the end of the line. And by the way, God has the ability to do that. At the end of the age, we'll do that. People that were always trying to exalt themselves, put themselves in a higher position. Why is it our nature to be noticed? Is that just something that Pharisees had to deal with? Why is it our nature that we want to be noticed? To be recognized, to get some sort of recognition. Everyone wants to be a somebody. Nobody wants to be a nobody. And so many, they're always jockeying for position. You ever heard one-upsmanship? Someone who saves that one little thing for a month at that meeting to make sure they put themselves in the best possible light. And oh, by the way, the rest of y'all, you didn't think of that. And even if someone else thought of it, they'll still do it. It's not just for a position, but also a place in society. People will go in debt to have a car that will get noticed. That everyone will hopefully notice. People will spend way more than they can on clothing and uh, maybe a house that's well beyond their means. Why? To say, I have status. Status. I'm something. I'm somebody. I've accomplished something. Look what I've accomplished. Come into my office with all my degrees. Aren't you impressed? Here's all the books. I've only read two of them, but there's 50,000 on the wall. I ever heard Brother K.P. O'Hannon, who's a very humble man, he said that, he goes, you come in my library, I've read maybe 5% of them. You know, something like that. Nothing at all wrong with having something. It's seeking honor. It's seeking to be looked at. It's seeking to be noticed. It's looking for compliments. It's okay to have something nice. It's okay to keep things nice. If you have things, you should be a good steward of them and keep them nice. It's okay to be complimented by people about maybe what you have or what you said or an idea you had or something you... But if those things are our driving motivation, we have a problem, don't we? If those things are our driving motivation, I want to be noticed have position, have people understand how great I am, all these things, if those are a driving motivation, we have a problem. We have to ask ourselves, why am I buying this? You ever ask yourself that? It's a good question to ask sometimes. Your, your flesh won't like that question, by the way. Mine doesn't. Why am I buying this? I love the color, this. Why am I buying it? Why am I about to say this and self-promote myself? You ever done that? I have. Hopefully not this morning. I don't recall it yet. But you can, you can ask yourself, why am I about to say this and self-promote myself? Why am I about to put someone else down? 
little slip. Put them in a lower position. When they get in a lower position, what happens with us? We think, at least, that we're in a higher position. Robert Morrison of China wrote this. He said, the great fault, I think, in our mission is that no one likes to be second. The work has yet the world has yet to see the world has yet to see what could happen if everyone lost the desire to get glory wouldn't it be a marvelous place if nobody cared who got credit that was in j oswald sanders book spiritual leadership wouldn't the world be a marvelous place if no one cared who got the credit if everyone wasn't always striving to be first, because nobody likes second. When I was in business, the company I worked for before I left to be full-time in the ministry, one of the buzzwords in our one-on-ones and our review and our checkpoint review and annual review and all these uh, workplace discussions and HR conference calls, and one of the buzzwords that we had, maybe it's in your company too, was your brand. Your brand. And then you say, you know, you have an HR executive say, you need to really work on your visibility. Publish your brand. Make sure your brand is well understood by your coworkers and your senior manager and your middle manager and all this. Work on your brand. Publish your brand. Broadcast your success. I, I even was in meetings where some of you are way too humble. But this is the world. They really think this will accomplish something in the scheme of their lifetime. And you know, it's, you, know you go down to Florida, uh, we've got uh, relatives that live in retired communities, and no one knows anymore what their brand used to be. It doesn't matter after a while. It vanishes. Now these days, with Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, millions of people, and this is outside of work, this has nothing to do with their even job, they're constantly working on promoting and publishing their brand. Their successes. My kid is amazing. My dog is beautiful. This, that, and the other. And I'm not, trust me, I have Facebook, you know, take all that with a grain of salt. The Lord, there's something to be said to having good relationships and and updating family, but there's also many, many people they thrive on they, are, they can't feel secure unless everyone knows how they're accomplishing doing something great that week. I love when Abraham Lincoln, who actually had something immensely worthwhile to say, there in Gettysburg, over a battlefield where thousands of men had died, here's a man who had something worthwhile to say. He still thought very little of his words when he said, the world will little note nor long remember what was said here. Oh, Yeah. We still remember what he said. Why? Because his heart had a humility there. And he didn't have to trumpet around and say, you know that three-hour speech or two-hour speech, whatever that just happened, that's no big deal. What I'm about to say is big stuff. And yet, it was big. It's the opposite to seeking honor that the Lord wants in our lives. It's to put others above ourselves, uh, leaving any recognition in the hand of God. I was reading an article this week. It wasn't a Christian article, it was a business article uh, by a writer named Jeff Hayden. I loved it. Uh, matter of fact, I'll be sharing it with our deacons and elders, and if anyone else wants it, I'll be glad to share it with you. Um, it was a 
business article, not a Christian article, but I love the title of it. It was Nine Reasons People Love to Work With You. Nine reasons people love to work with you. I'll give you number two, number four, number seven. Number two is they never find something to take personally. If you constantly and I constantly take things personal, we are the problem. People we love to work with never take things personally. They're able to say, you know, you stepped on my toes and I'm looking past it. You slighted me and I'm looking past it. That is a godly trait. I don't know, this guy, I didn't get any impression that he's a Christian or anything else. I'm like, dude, you're preaching and you don't even know it. They're biblical concepts. Number uh, four, they never fail to share or even give away credit. People you love to work with love to give away credit, share credit, disperse credit. The people you don't like to work with, take all the credit. The people you don't like to work with are easily offended. That was number two, remember? And then the seventh one, the people you love to work with, they never actively seek validation. Christians, we are guilty as the body of Christ of doing all those things in reverse. We should not be running around seeking validation. We should not be easily offended. We should not be trying to take credit. We should be giving credit away, sharing it. Those are traits of humility. And if we submit to Christ, and we submit to the work of the Spirit, we'll go lower, won't we? We'll go lower. And we'll go lower in our estimation of ourselves, which is a good place to be. We'll think like Abraham Lincoln. We don't, well, you know, people won't probably remember this. I'm not talking about goofy, ho-hum, not real humility. Sincere. It should be the Christian who is serving who's avoiding self-promotion, who's having a humble spirit. But it has to be genuine, doesn't it? People know false humility too, don't they? False humility is, is just as bad as arrogant, out-and-out pride. If you have a person that's constantly telling you how humble they are, guess what? <laughs> they might as well just be arrogant. And that's actually worse sometimes, isn't it? You'd rather hear the arrogant person. At least they're just telling you straight out. The person is constantly, I'm so humble, I'm so this. What? You're annoying. Oh, that wasn't really Christian, I know. Sorry about that. <laughs> Edit that out, please. No, anyway. Leslie Flynn said, if you're humble, you don't write the book on how humble you are with 12 life-size pictures in it. Jonathan Edwards said, the best protection one can have from the devil and his schemes is a humble heart. It's true. A humble heart, it'll keep you out of a lot of things. Keep me out of a lot of things. Keep us out of a lot of things. Last thing to look at from our text this morning. Look for those who are left out. Look for those who are left out. Jesus says when you give a dinner or supper, don't ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, your rich neighbors. Now, you always got to, whenever you read the scriptures, you have to read it from the perspective of the whole counsel of God. Is Jesus saying it's wrong to have dinner with your family? No. Is he saying it's wrong you have friends over for dinner? No. He's saying that you have to have intentionality to look beyond your normal circle of friends. That makes sense? You must have an... Without intentionality, you will never, nor will I, without intentionality, we will never look past our most just little comfort zone. This is how cliques are in high school. Right? 
People don't move out of the click. This is my click. That's your click. That's their click. And this is where we stay, right in this zone. We don't look outside. Matter of fact, if someone comes into this zone that's not in our click, we look down on them real quick and make sure they're so uncomfortable they quickly get out. And what Jesus is saying, you have to be intentional to go beyond what naturally feels like, well, see, when I'm with them, we just laugh so easy and so fun and we do all that. He's like, yeah, I'm that way with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, James, Peter, John. But that's not where I stop. And that's not where we should stop. We have to be intentional to look past those things. Jesus looked for lepers. He looked for Samaritan women. He looked for the demon-possessed. looked for the outcast. These are people that the world does not take the time with. But the Christian should. And the church should. We should be the hands and feet reaching out. But what about us? Are we looking for opportunities to bless and to invite and to welcome those on the outside? When's the last time you had someone in your home that you didn't know that well, you got to know them, uh, and said, hey, we want to we just share a meal with you. We want to cook, cook a barbecue for you. We want to do something. Uh, well, I don't, you know, why? We're college age. You're not, you know, whatever it is. To love people. Even in this place, there may be, there may be people here that, that God has put on your heart. Why don't you bless them? And you, you know, maybe three, four times he's put on your heart and you still haven't done it yet. Or saying, do it. Reach out to them. Take them out to lunch. What if they say they don't want to go? So what? You didn't go anyway, right? To look beyond ourselves. You know, um, you know one of the things that I noticed when I was in the business world um, the stratas of people hanging out together are clearly defined. Gated communities hang out with gated communities. Predominantly. Every now and then, there's someone who is outside the norm It would have to be some on fire for Christian that you know, God has blessed in a, in a very unique way. But predominantly, stratas stay there. And Jesus, he cut through them all, didn't he? He said, invite, invite the poor and let maimed. Do you know there's people that live in really nice neighborhoods that would be too embarrassed to invite someone over that has a junky car? They wouldn't want it. They would not want to see in their driveway some junky car for two hours, even if that's all it was there for. Because it would, oh, people look at us. We have friends with cars like that? God help us if that's our attitude. But, you know, we have to be honest with ourselves sometimes. Really, where are we at? If the Lord says, no, that's you. You can't, you can't run and hide from the Lord and say, oh, that's not me. Right? People that Jesus says, he notice he specifically says the rich neighbors. Specifically. But he says, no, no, I want you to invite the poor, the maimed, the blind, these are the outer fringes of society. Those people I want you to invite. And it's not easy, is it? Well, it's not easy for a number of reasons. Not easy because what people might think, but it's also not easy because it really, they can't pay for lunch ever for you or me. You really have to say, this is a sacrificial investment on behalf of who? The Lord. Looking for those that are left out. 
Philippians 2.3, Paul says, But in lowliness of mind, esteem others better than oneself. It's an important thing that we look and say, Lord loves them just as much. As a matter of fact, I'll consider them better than myself. Someday we're going to give an account of how we've applied this in our life. You know, when I first got saved in 1995, this, this passage stuck out to me. I'm like, wow. You mean I really? I was only saved for like months. And the Lord spoke to me this passage and said, I have to intentionally find people that can't pay me back. I took that, I took it literally. And I still do to this day. And I don't always exercise it the way I should. The Lord will remind me, hey, don't forget that passage. Don't forget that passage. Maybe you've forgotten this passage. That's why we go verse by verse. So we don't forget passages. The Lord will say, reach out to those that are not like you. Don't connect with you. Don't think like you. Aren't from your same socioeconomic. Don't have the same background and perspective. Reach out to them anyway. You'll be surprised. Just your love. When we were, um, I don't know if I already told this, but I might have told it Wednesday night, but if I did, I'm telling it again. When we were at the pastor's conference, um, Tom Doyle said that when they invited over a Muslim family, the kids were bouncing off the walls, bouncing everywhere. And if I told this already, I'm sorry. And the parents apologized to Tom and his wife, and they said, we're sorry, our kids are just going bananas at your house. Um, but we've never been invited by an American family to anything in seven years of living here. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's saying the world will be shocked when you reach outside and say, we want to have you over, or we want to take you to Jersey Mike's, or whatever you can afford. You can take me to Jersey Mike's because I like Jersey Mike's. <laughs> I will not pay you back, I promise. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I would gladly pay you back with something of equal value. <laughs> That's a cheap. So will we really be, will we really find a blessing in going lower? We come to a close. Will we really be blessed in going lower? Jesus says we will. Everything I've said defies our flesh, defies the culture, defies the world system. So everything Jesus said is on this side of the ledger. Our flesh and the world's culture is on this side of the ledger. Jesus said, go my way and you'll be blessed. The world says, go our way and you'll feel great, which is true. Well, there really is a blessing going lower. First, there's a blessing just when we stop seeking everything for ourselves. You will find a rest. I will find a rest and a peace you're like, wow, it really feels good not to try and constantly put myself above everything else as if I'm the center of the universe. Jesus is the center of the universe. When we put him at the center of the universe, everything else, these things that he teaches naturally flow into our life when we put him at the center of the universe. When, he, when these things are not in our life, he certainly is not the center of our universe. But there's a peace in not trying to always jockey for position. Say, so, you know, it feels good not to self-promote anymore. I've been set free from status. I've been set free from worrying what the neighbors thought because we invited some poor family over. Or they don't speak English. Or whatever it may be. It's good to be set free from the conditions and the religiosity and the man-made guardians of man-made religion. 
and man-made culture and man-made caste systems and man-made strata, isn't it? Jesus said, I'll set you free from all that. You don't have to live that way anymore. You were under their rules, now you're under my kingdom. Thy kingdom come. Amen? I don't have time to read it, but in Revelation 16, 26, you can write it down. Daniel 12, 2 talks about the resurrection of the righteous. Jesus says, hey, bottom line, you're going to be blessed. But if for any reason you doubt it, you're going to be blessed when I bless you at the end of the age. And that has to be good enough for us, folks, doesn't it? It has to be good enough to know that one day he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into this mansion here. Because you did it the way I said. You went lower. And then he will do what? Exalt us on that day. Amen? I'd rather be exalted on that day than exalted temporarily in this life. How about you? There's three things to remember. Have the heart of Jesus. Go to that lunch. Go ahead where they don't like you or your religion and be a light anyway. Go ahead and throughout your life, throughout this week and throughout the coming month, avoid seeking honor and look for those that are left out. Amen? We do those three things. You'll never, it was said that, you know, if you search for hurting people, you'll never lack for an audience. And there are a lot of them out there. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you this morning that your truths, Lord, really do give us peace and rest. And Lord, we know that there is a blessing in going lower because you went lower. Lord, you were equal to the Father and yet you went as low as to be crucified on a Roman cross. And Lord, we ask for your forgiveness where our pride or our thoughts or our biases or our intentions or our lack of intentionality in following these things, Lord, we ask collectively you'd forgive us. Lord, we're all guilty in some respect of every one of these points. And we need your help. We need the help of the Holy Spirit to be more of your heart, to be really looking for those that are left out. And Lord, we need your help to be humble and to avoid seeking self-honor. So we just ask for your forgiveness and we ask for your help this coming week in living these things out. Lord, that we would touch lives even from this text. It would spur us to be more of your hands and feet in this world. In your name we pray. Why don't you stand?